Okay, this morning's reading is coming to us from Ephesians chapter 3, reading the whole chapter. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to people, or was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past has been kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you, uh, sorry, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that ye may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Uh, well, thank you so much, Trinity Church Brighton, for welcoming us back. Uh, Joanna is very excited to be here. She's made herself quite heard. Talking about Ephesians 3, like one of the traditions that Chantelle and I just love about Trinity Church Brighton has been the big days. Uh, in fact, we remember the time, I don't know, for, for those of you who've been here for a while, if you remember the time when there was a big old foamy book of big days, which actually had days written in it. I don't know if that's still floating around in someone's shed or if it's hung on someone's mantelpiece. Uh, who, who knows? Cameron's shaking his head. Oh, well. We'll see. But anyway, I've always found it really easy to care for my friends and my family in good times. 
You know, to, to write the, the card of congratulations, to celebrate together on the big good days. The days where you know, there's weddings, where there's graduations, where there's new job offers, where there's celebrations. On the days when, when a child is born. You know, to, to celebrate and praise God on the spiritual high days. You know, to do it on the youth camps. Man, is that easy. You know, that's, that's what being, makes being a part of a family together so good, isn't it? Being able to celebrate together, to share the highs together. Well, I find that quite easy. But on the other hand, what I don't find easy is knowing what to say or what to write for my friends or family when, when they're having those big days that are not good. How to get alongside them when they're struggling, to, to get alongside the widow grieving her husband's death after a long battle with cancer. How to continually support that friend who has been hospitalized again and again due to mental health struggles. What do you say the sixth time you visit them? To comfort and protect someone who's suffering abuse at the hands of a partner. I kind of suspect that we all find this hard. We live in a world that is actually filled with discouragement. That's filled with big days that are not good. And on top of all that, just to add to the suffering that can happen, Christians suffer a little bit extra for choosing to live out their faith in public. The snide comment in the workplace. Being overlooked for the invitation to that dinner party. The family members who just want nothing to do with us. We live in a world that's kind of filled with discouragement, don't we? And just as important as it is for us to be together through those highs, to be a family means that we're together through the lows. Now, that's what Ephesians 3 is all about, which Rick just read out for us before. Being a family in the highs and in the lows. It's what Paul prays about for his church family in Ephesus. As we go through Ephesians 3, we see that Paul wants to pray to God as a good father to encourage and to comfort the people in Ephesus. He gets on with it after an important interruption about the church family in Ephesus, which we'll look at. And then Paul prays that God will complete the church of Christ in love. So if you're the note-taking type, if you're following along through the link, uh, we're at point one in your outlines, an important interruption. See, Paul is about to get on with praying, but he has this really important interruption. I don't know if you noticed that, but look with me again at verses one to six. For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by the revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Paul kicks off by writing, for this reason, which should make us ask, for what reason? What reason is he talking about? Well, to quickly recap Ephesians, which uh, the youth who were on summit camp have been looking at over this weekend. In Ephesians 1, Paul gave the report of God's incredible plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ, to bring unity under Christ. In Ephesians 2, he showed that Christians are saved through the grace of Jesus and that both Jews and Gentiles are united together to be one new body, one new family 
in Christ. God has kept his promises and has shown grace to the Gentiles, including them, including us, in his plan to unite everything under Jesus. But notice what happens. Paul, Paul suddenly loses his train of thought. For this reason, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration. What's going on? He doesn't pick up his train of thought again until verse 14. Well, it's all to do with what he says there in verse 1. He's a prisoner of Christ for the sake of Gentiles. And if you skim down to verse 13, you see that he says, I ask you not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. See, Paul's a prisoner. He's in chains. He's a public enemy. And all because of his commitment to preaching the gospel, to preaching that God saves Gentiles, that God includes non-Jewish persons in his salvation plan. It's a big deal. See, in Acts 22, the historical record of the early church, we see some of the history behind the scenes here. Paul's arrived in Jerusalem after a, a long time traveling to share the gospel. He is grabbed by a grumpy crowd who want to kill him, but then the Roman soldiers intervene and, and kind of keep him safe. And he eventually is allowed to present his defense to the Jewish people in front of the Roman soldiers. He explains how Jesus saved him, how Jesus called him and gave him a new mission. So it'll be up on the screen, actually. Acts 22, verses 21 to 22. Let's, let's read them together just to see the last bit of his defense. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. What's behind the suffering that Paul's currently experiencing? Well, it's all because God has chosen to save Gentiles. It's all because God has chosen to include non-Jewish persons in his salvation plan. I mean, that's the big secret of God's will. That's the mystery that God has made the Gentiles co-heirs with the Jews. It's a big deal. It's a huge plot twist. So just to get into some of the cultural ideas there, I mean, dominating our news headlines at the moment are concerns over these two men and the countries they represent. Uh, so Xi Jinping, China's president, and Joe Biden, the, the new American president, who kind of seem to be building up to some sort of war. There's, there's all this this news about it and how Australia is kind of caught up in it. Now, just for a moment, let's, let's just put our imagination caps on. Could you imagine the chaos, the, the sheer spectacle of it, if Joe Biden were to fly an Air Force One to Beijing and sit down with President Jinping and say, no more America, no more China. We're now going to be new China-erica. You know, it'd be insane. China, with all its military might, its heritage, its pride, its communist party. America, with its capitalistic freedom, idolizing racial issues. Making the two into one new nation, that's insane. That's madness. And that's exactly what God has done. The mystery of God's will, verse 6, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Well, what's the big deal about this for us today? 
we're pretty distant from some of the racial and the historical and religious issues that were behind the Jew-Gentile divide in 2021 uh, Australia, aren't we? But on the other hand, we see here just how important church is to God. Just how central it is to his plan. Now, if you're someone here today who's checking out Jesus, just checking out Trinity Church Brighton, welcome. I'm so glad you're a visitor here. Me too. Christianity is all about God drawing people from all backgrounds to himself to be a part of his church, to be a part of his family. Now, I really hope that you become a part of this family too. Now, one thing about this family, we are not perfect. We're messy. The rest of Ephesians is going to be dedicated to giving instructions for how Christians ought to behave in church. And one of the instructions is forgive each other, which implies that Christians are going to have things to forgive each other for, that we're going to sin and hurt each other. Church is messy. Now, on the other hand, though, maybe, maybe you're someone who's already a Christian. There's a quote from an early church leader. We looked at it a little bit on our camp. A guy named Cyprian who says he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Now, what Cyprian is saying is that there is no such thing as a Christian who isn't part of the church. Not just the invisible universal church, the big church throughout time and space. No, the local church as well. There is no such thing as a Christian who's not a part of their local church. Or to put a more positive spin on it, a more positive take, the most significant, most important thing that God is doing in this world is building his church. And we're invited, we're called, we're commanded to be a part of that. Now, building God's church is hard. It costs time, it costs emotional energy. It'll impact our holiday plans. It'll impact our freedoms, our our ability to decide where we're going to live, where we're going to choose to work, what we're going to choose to do with our extra time, what we're going to do with the tax return. It's going to challenge our freedoms. It's going to expose our own selfishness. Being a part of the church is hard. And yet it's 100% to the heartbeat of God as he builds his church. So Paul doesn't want them to be discouraged because this is what God is doing, even though he's in prison. That is exactly what God is planning to build his church. So now at last, verse 14, Paul gets back to his prayer, to the main point. Paul prays to God as our Father, the one who has created and who sustains the world. Please look with me just at verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Well, it's for this reason that God has included the Gentiles and the Jewish people into one new family. It's for this reason that Paul kneels before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. It's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? What does it actually mean? Well, full record, my full name is Timothy James Blagg. I can confirm that. I have the documentation to prove it. Blagg is a name that I've inherited. Timothy was a name chosen for me by my parents. But Blag, the name I inherited, it, it, it actually is kind of a, a crash of black. Um, it dates back to the time when the Normans invaded Great Britain. Uh, so I'm an invader. However, my parents chose the name Timothy and gave it to me. When they chose the name Timothy, when they gave it to me, they expressed and exerted authority over me, a God-given authority. When we look back in Genesis 1-2, to 2, 
we see that one of the ways God demonstrates his authority is by naming things. He names the things that he creates, the sun, the moon, the stars, the land, the light, the seas, the mankind. And then he gave to Adam the authority to name people, to name animals. Adam gives Eve her name. So whether our name is from our family or from a baby names article we found or a nickname, ultimately we're kind of named under God's authority. The whole concept of family starts with God. So God who is Father. Now Paul isn't praying to some dispassionate deity. He is praying to the Father who is in heaven. In a world filled with discouragement, we are encouraged by remembering we are praying to God who is a good Father. God who uses his authority to care, to provide for his creation. Isn't that great? We pray to a good Father. When we pray to God, we pray to our good, caring, heavenly Father who uses his power to nurture us. Now, I felt really challenged by this idea that God is our Father. This year, ever since Jonah was born, I've realized that when I wear the name Father, I've got to be representing God as Father. I've got to be reflecting his kind of fatherhood. That's terrifying. And maybe you're someone whose experience of fatherhood has actually been really bad. Maybe your experience of an earthly father was not someone who was caring, nurturing, who used all their power to care. Maybe you just didn't have a dad around. God is the ultimate father. He is the real father. He's the father we turn to. So Paul is praying to this father, and he's praying for the church to experience God's completing love. Look with me again at verses 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, in verses 16 to 17, Paul prays that they might be strengthened by God's spirit in their hearts, enabling Christ to dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, I don't know if you thought about that, but that's actually a little bit puzzling. If they're a Christian, they already have the spirit. They already have Christ dwelling in their hearts. And that's what's talked about all through Ephesians chapter 1. If they're Christians, they're already sealed with the spirit. Well, seven and a half years ago, uh, Chantel and I got married at Trinity Church Adelaide on the, the coolest day in a, a pretty warm, disgustingly hot week, actually. Now, imagine if right now I were to pop down on one knee and ask Chantel to marry me again, to, to hold out an engagement ring, to you know, call up her dad, say, hey, I'm asking the question, would you give me your permission, please, maybe? You know, why? Because we're already married. It's already a fact. It's already happened. Again, I've got the documentation to prove it. Paul knows that the Ephesian church are Christians already. He's not denying that fact here in chapter 3. Jesus already lives in their hearts. Paul's not praying for something new to be real. He's praying that the Ephesians will experience Christ in their hearts even more than they already do. See, in verses 18 to 19, we see him explaining more of that. He prays that they will experience Christ in their hearts, that they will know a love that surpasses all understanding. How can we know an unknowable love? It's kind of crazy. 
A way you can experience it more and more. Understand it, know it, live it. Uh, so my grandparents, I think there's a photo of us with them on the screen. My grandparents have loved God all their lives. There was never a moment when Jesus wasn't Lord for either of them. They always share whenever we catch up with them about the sermon they heard on Sunday. Or a song that they sung or the hymn that they've listened to by their favorite hymn writer. Or what they've been reading in the Bible or in a Christian book. Now this side of heaven, we will never be able to fully grasp the love of Christ. But when I look at my grandparents, I see that they've been growing in their understanding of Christ's love over the years again and again. Now I'd love that to be my legacy. To be our legacy. That I was always growing in the love of Christ. That I always, every year I get to know more and more of his love by studying his word. By meeting together with his people, by singing songs. See, we grow in knowing this ineffable love of Christ by living out the Christian life in our church community. We grow by sharing together, by reading together, by praying together, by doing the ordinary thing of rocking up week in, week out, and meeting. So well done, Trinity Church Brighton. Keep it up. It's school holidays. It's sleepy. Some of you have just come back from camp and are very tired. Well done being here. Keep it up. Well, finally, at the end of verse 19, we see the big purpose of Paul's prayer. He prays that the Ephesians might experience Christ in their hearts so that they might know the unknowable love of Christ so that they may be made complete in the fullness of Jesus. Jesus lives in our hearts. When Jesus returns, we will be complete in his love. We will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We will experience in full the glorious encouragement of being complete in Jesus' love. We will be all that God our Father has made us to be. Isn't that great? Well, Paul's given us a masterpiece of a prayer here, hasn't he? I know I'm encouraged when someone else tells me that they're praying for me, but Paul's not just said, I'm praying for you guys. He's actually written out in full what he's praying for them. And it's incredible. It's a masterpiece. It's one thing to say, I'll pray for someone else. But what do we pray? Well, I think if you're a Christian, if you're someone who wants to pray for someone else, we can just plagiarize Paul's words here. We can seriously take what the Bible says and turn it into prayer. So what would it look like for you to pray this prayer for your family? For your colleagues? For your neighbors? We can do it. Years ago, I was pointed to this book uh, by Don Carson, uh, it used to be called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's now called Praying with Paul. You may have seen it around. It's, it's a pretty decent book. Now, what he does, though, in this book that's just gold, is he dedicates so much time to just looking at different prayers prayed in the Bible, different prayers prayed in the New Testament, especially prayers that Paul prayed. He unpacks them. He shows us how we can pray them for others. I highly recommend this. I mean, you don't need this. You've got the Bible. You can just look at the prayers Paul prayed himself. But if you want something that's going to kind of stretch you a little bit and provide some commentary, I highly recommend this book. Why not pray Paul's prayers yourself? Why not pray prayers like Ephesians 3, yourself for your church family? Well, to a world filled with discouragement, Paul prays to God, our good, our sovereign father. He asks God to give Christians an even greater experience of Jesus' love so that we will comprehend his unknowable love. And so that we will be made complete when Jesus returns. 
Being lifelong followers of Jesus means that we gradually, continually live in harmony with Jesus. We're growing in knowing him, knowing his unknowable love for us, and always becoming the people, the church, which God has created us to be. It's no wonder that Paul finishes with what's commonly called a doxology in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God, our good Father, is able to do far more than all we ask or imagine. He's already at work within us. He's the one we pray to. So let's pray. Please join me. Let's pray and talk to God. Father God, we live in a world which can be discouraging. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Thank you that you are building your church. We pray that you will help us to live experiencing Christ in our hearts even more. Growing in our understanding of your love for us in Christ. And ultimately we will become the people of the church that you have made us to be. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.